0: Hey, I'm Brett Sallier, I'm a computer scientist.
1: And I'm Marcus Riggs, a crypto investor.
0: We're just two friends seeking to learn a little more about the crypto space every week and share our discoveries with
1: you. Join us each week as we go through the evolving world of crypto and discuss everything from Bitcoin, NFTs, blockchain technology, mining, and a whole lot more. We are the Crypto Bros. Welcome back to the Crypto Bros. podcast. I'm Marcus. This is Brett. Today, we wanted to get into probably the most popular cryptocurrency right now in the space outside of Bitcoin which is XRP so me and Brett really weren't um, well versed in XRP obviously it's an extremely popular coin and currently go through going through or finishing up hopefully a lawsuit with the SEC right now Um, but we really didn't know much about XRP Um, I was able to attend a crypto class um, where a good friend of ours um, actually, you know, well, Brett was out of town, but taught me and a group of other people about XRP, and he got me really interested in it enough to where I felt like, uh, we should make an episode about XRP in terms of just the history of it, some of the broad topics that may be more beginner friendly, and maybe we might even get into some of the more nitty gritty topics of why XRP is so lethal and is something to be feared by the SEC, obviously. Yeah. Um... No
0: good. I was gonna say, uh, you mentioned that class, and the thing is that class went on for probably what uh, several hours. Like, you can talk about <clears throat> something as revolutionary as XRP all day. Um, unfortunately, we're gonna do our best to try to summarize sort of the highlights of it um, in this shorter podcast. Um, obviously, we're not gonna have like an entire like class session dedicated to it, but. Um, I don't know if that's gonna be made available or not. I know Mark... or um, um, this. We can of,
1: we can ask.
0: Yeah, let's see if we can get this um, access to this class. I, uh, he's got a lot of really good information in there. Some of which we're gonna t- talk on today. But uh, yeah, it's gonna. If be it,
1: good. It, if the if that class is up, I'll see if I can link it in the description for this video on YouTube. So if it's not there, you know what happened. But yeah, like Brett was saying, I mean this is. XRP is a very, very extensive, or Ripple, really more broadly, is a very, very extensive discussion to have. And mainly that's because as you have to understand how cross-border transactions are, how they interact with each other, how it actually functions, um, why it's so expensive, why the average cost of a bank transfer is o- over 11%. I mean, just to throw out a, a crazy number for you, there was an 180 trillion dollars worth of cross-border transactions made last year and the fees on those 180 trillion dollars that was passed back and forth was 1.7 trillion dollars which is just insane um so there really is like a lot of different things going on when it comes to understanding why xrp it has such great potential and why you see people saying things like oh it could go to a hundred dollars it could go to ten thousand dollars it could go to five dollars i mean kind of like any other cryptocurrency you hear people throw out fugazi numbers you know they go from oh that'd be a nice gain to oh that's stupid and unbelievable but today more than anything we kind of just wanted to brush over as much as we can just just touch on kind of every aspect of ripple and xrp on like a bird's eye view level because obviously to get into the nitty-gritty of everything ripple and xrp would probably honestly take probably about 10 hours Of like lengthy discussion. But if you're a beginner and you don't really know what Ripple is or what XRP is, or maybe you know just enough, this podcast is probably just for you. Um, It may not be super interesting if you're like an expert in Ripple or XRP, if you're listening to this, because we're kind of just going to touch on a lot of the Bird's Eye View topics. But to back up a bit, just to give a little like history of Ripple and how it started, uh, Ripple was a centralized fintech company, and it's focused around building products that can solve global payment issues. Um, the company first began uh, under the name Ripple Pay, and it was originally founded uh, by software developer uh, Ryan Fugger in 2004. Um, According to their own website, the goal behind Ripple was very similar to what Satoshi Nakamoto set out to do, which was to create a faster, easier, and more secure way to process transactions on a global level. So a lot of people talk about Bitcoin as like the one world currency that it could be, when the truth is it's kind of been Ripple's mission all along to make XRP that.
0: And we were kind of talking about this earlier. A lot of cryptocurrencies are sort of marketed as like, well, I shouldn't say a lot of cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin... um was obviously like the first one it was the most famous it's the most valuable currently it was marketed in a way that hey you can use this to pay somebody you know next door or across the world and it's going to get there much quicker than it would be with traditional fiat um and today you have even faster cryptocurrency blockchains like um i don't know like avalanche polygon i'd say Even Ethereum is relatively quick, but incredibly expensive to use. Um, All of these cryptocurrencies can do global, I say global payments. You can send cryptocurrency back and forth between people, but there is something special that XRP is addressing. It's a very um, specific problem in the global payment industry. And um, that's what we're going to be talking about today, because... If 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 it's no different than like Ethereum or or um, faster blockchains like Polygon or Avalanche etc. What's so special about XRP? Like what does that give you as opposed to just any other cryptocurrency out there? Because you know like what's the difference? Like I'm just sending you money, right? Like that's basically it. You know is there any more to it than that? And there is. There's there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that that uh, Ripple's addressing, and a lot of us are never actually going to really care about because it doesn't pertain to us in our everyday lives. For the most part, this is more uh, aimed to uh, deal with like big banks and and currency exchange and things like that with fiat currencies.
1: Right. A lot of, you know, like 99.9% of the time, like the banking transactions that we deal with or even the crypto transactions we deal with, are either like from domestic bank to domestic bank or they're just from like a, a wallet to a wallet. Whereas what Ripple's trying to address is really, I mean, about as big as you can get. They're trying to address the global payment system. Like, their interest is not in moving money, you know, from, you know, Iowa to Ohio. Their interest is in moving money from the United States to India or from Russia to Germany, you know, or from England to, you know, Italy. So that, to understand, like, how that works, like cross-border transactions like there's there's a lot more to it than i mean even someone like me who like enjoys you know understanding how money is and how it works there's a lot more to it than i was even aware of um things will get into like nostro vostro accounts um what is swift um and how all those things work and what is ripple's pitch at the end of the day for Like, why is Ripple, why does Ripple believe they can come in and be the answer and solve a lot of the problems or rather, I guess you could say inefficiencies and errors that the current global payment system is anyway, because the inefficiencies and the errors are objectively poor. Like, you know, a transaction fee that on average costs over 11 percent is terrible. Um, unless you're on the Ethereum chain and it's just called average. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, it hurts. Uh, it hurts. Yeah. But, I mean, Ed, you know, outside of the 11% transaction fee, I mean, the error for, the, for these transactions, the error rate, the chances that a transaction will go wrong is 5%, which is like a massive amount. I mean, even 1% really is a huge amount, but the fact that it's 5%, we were talking... I mean, Brett, we talking about that idea. You know, just before we started going, you know, I mentioned that there was 180 trillion dollars, you know, passed back and forth every year. If you just, for some quick math, assumed, you know, that 5% of that 180 trillion, you know, got mixed up somehow in error because we have an error rate of 5%, that's nine trillion dollars. And then you throw on top of that the actual transaction fee for that nine trillion dollars. Now you're over 10 trillion dollars in errors. For the global payment system that's just considered that's just how it works and so there's a really huge gaping hole in how all this works um and i think at least some people in the crypto space believe that that's why people like the sec is going after ripple because ripple really does have the ammunition and they do have the software in place to truly change all of this and make a difference um and you know i have i haven't looked into it that hardly but you have to believe that if they're truly going to shake up the global payment game somewhere along the line some parties globally are going to lose out on billions of dollars of fees and i'm sure that has many 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 certain parties domestic and otherwise uh extremely concerned for the bottom line of themselves because of the threat that ripple presents and that's at least from the arguments I've heard, that's what many of the um, you know, crypto enthusiasts for XRP believe, and that's why they believe the SEC's gone after them.
0: Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I and mean, from what I've heard, XRP is... A ripple is pretty much locked and cocked and ready to rock. You, you know, They've already got banks on board, software's in place, everything's ready to go. They just need to get all this stuff cleared up in court, and... You know this is this court case that they're dealing with is going to have larger implications um to cryptocurrency as a whole but uh um yeah it's it's going to be interesting so as soon as this gets through you're going to have uh, a much more efficient way of of uh transactions between between countries uh, between banks um, Etc. So it's it's going it's going to be pretty amazing. Not that I'm going to be able to see it firsthand in many cases, but uh, yeah, it'll be cool.
1: Yeah, we have our. I don't think I don't think you're in XRP. I personally don't have any XRP, but that's because we are in some other extremely juicy projects <laughs> such as uh, Data Capital. Um, but I would definitely like to have some XRP in the future. Should I get some free cash to do so? But to understand, you know, why Ripple, you know, what what is Ripple's pitch basically and how are they going to fix the inefficiencies and errors um, that the current global payment system has. To understand that you kind of have to understand, you know, how they plan, how they would plan rather to function under their own kind of SWIFT system and then what is the current um, system for global payments. So the current system, the reason there's so many inefficiencies The reason that you have over 11% on average uh, bank transfer fee and you have a 5% error rate is simply put, there are just so many different cooks in the kitchen. And what I mean by that is, you know, say you have, you know, say you have family, you're in America, say you have family in London and you'd like to send them $5,000, right? In order to send them the $5,000, it's not as simple as, you know, going to, you know, say, you know, Chase Bank and saying, hey, I'd like to send $5,000 to so-and-so through this transfer. The thing is that there's a lot of corresponding banks between your bank and the bank that your family member who needs the $5,000 um, has. There's, uh, there's a lot of middlemen involved, in, and um, those middlemen are called corresponding banks. So basically, how it works is is there's liquidity pools um, in both countries, and there are messages through, from one bank to the corresponding bank to Which another. Is basically, corresponding.
0: what SWIFT is, right? SWIFT is the the messaging right. protocol between banks.
1: And for anyone that doesn't know what SWIFT stands for, it's Society of Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. It's a mouthful, but. <laughs> more basically how it works is with your $5,000 that you want to send, you know, Nana, if you want to send Nana $5,000, it's not as simple as just going from one bank to another. It's basically a message system where one bank tells another bank, tells another bank. And then finally on the other side, um, gets actually to the bank that your Nana is currently at and has their money at. So it's a messaging system that sends back and forth. And uh, the money that is between each bank are held in what are called Nostro-Vostro accounts. Now, Nostro-Vostro is actually Latin. Nostro stands er, in Latin as ours, and Vostro is yours. So it's our money, your money, meaning the domestic money in that liquidity pool and then the foreign money, the money that's held over there. So in London, if you have a Vostro bank account that connects with America it's going to have United States dollars in that bank account in London and in Vostro it would be vice versa you would have you know whatever the British pound in an American bank account and basically when that $5,000 when the message gets sent back and forth that hey so-and-so is $5,000 and they want to send it to Nana in London then basically it's just a messaging system and the Nostro Vostro accounts basically have basically have an accounting book to my understanding and those accounting books say, hey, let's swap the money between us and then the um, the actual banks that are intermediaries um, tell each other that this is about to happen and then it happens and it's basically just an accounting book and then the money switched around without actually the United States dollar actually physically going over to the other country. It's kind of complex and if it sounds really convoluted, uh, two reasons: one, uh, it's not that easy to explain, and two, it's freaking complicated. It is. It's it's and it's needlessly complicated. And Ripple's goal and all this and, and before I get into the Ripple side of it, this is this is one of the reasons there's an eleven percent bank transfer or a, a little over eleven percent average cost of a bank transfer is because. Not only does your bank get part of that eleven percent, but the corresponding bank in your own country gets part of that eleven percent, the corresponding bank in their country gets part of the eleven percent, and then the actual bank you're sending the money to gets eleven yep. percent. And just so of, it's all Go
0: ahead. I was gonna say to sort of like sum up one of the one of the like the biggest um, problems for for a lot of these like corresponding banks is that, is I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull a quote from this article it says to this day corresponding banks are needed in the system to provide liquidity in different foreign markets and then require pre-funded accounts to operate so they're going to have to have all of these accounts you know pre-funded with the liquidity and banks who hold these foreign currency accounts suffer from opportunity costs uh, because of their tied up capital so they've got all this money sitting in these accounts that just basically has to sit there idly which means they because you know Banks doing bank things, lending money out, charging interest, etc. They're not able to do anything with those funds. It's just got to sit there. Not making money solely for the purpose of exchanging assets. It's, uh, It's a big problem.
1: It's a huge problem and uh, the inefficiencies of it are, are glaring. It's almost like a, it's like a relay race with money where it's like, it's not as simple as just sending it across the track. It's you have to hand it from this person to this person to this person. And the thing is the corresponding banks aren't actually touching any money. They're literally just sending actual digital messages, almost like, like a, like, like signing a message on like your hardware wallet. All they are is sending messages from one bank to another bank to another bank. Like, The only way that the money actually crosses borders without crossing borders is the fact that you have basically these liquidity pools in the Nostro and Vostro accounts on each uh, in each country that are able to. And they they just go up and down like this, like a scale. Um, And it's just it's extremely inefficient and it's inefficient (laughs) to the tune of five percent. And not only that, unlike crypto, where we're spoiled with settlement times of, you know, at worst, Bitcoin blocks settle in like 10 minutes. You know, with um, with overseas wiring, it can take up to five days to settle. Oftentimes, you know, and if <laughs> yeah. if there's any if there's anything that we know, it's oftentimes like if you have somebody overseas, like family, and they need money, five days, five business days at that is a long time.
0: Which is crazy because, yeah, three to five business days it's it's insane. Like in today's world, where you have pretty much every all communication is instant. The one thing that you would expect to be instant is you know cash transactions which can be perceived as instant when really they're not and that could be manipulated in several different ways whether that's just floating money or you know doing something like this but even but even this three to five three to five business days like that's nowhere near instant like what what, if you need money over there now like it's not going to happen
1: Well, a lot of people don't even realize when if you deposit a physical check, like the fact that it hits your account, that's actually money being floated to you because a lot of people don't know it takes two or three business days for your bank to actually correspond with the bank the check came from to actually correspond that the money's even in the account, which is why oftentimes if a check bounces, you only find you only find out about it two or three business days later and it gets taken back out of your account. So I think a lot of people don't even realize how much money just in the domestic United States banking system is just floated. Like it's just all, so much of it is, is literally Fugazi really. And especially if you understand how money works on like the federal reserve level, like it's all just, it's all just sure it exists is basically how it is at the end of the day. It's, it's kind of, it's insane really.
0: Yeah. And the thing, and the thing is um, XRP is great for a lot of things um, I think it's a good buy just as an investment. Um, I think the, the, the value of the XRP token is going to go up, especially once all of these um, legal matters get resolved. Um, but it's also great for for banks to become more efficient with cross, you know, cross-border transactions. Um, and when you know the banks are on board, like the big banks, they're adopting something like this that could potentially replace something as large as SWIFT. That that's a that's a big deal. Like, if you buy XRP, and this system gets adopted, it's going to be life changing. Not only for your wallet, but also for like the banks and stuff getting involved. Everything is going to get way more efficient. It's it's going to be insane.
1: Right. Well, and the, and ultimately the pitch for the pitch that Ripple has is that they plan on taking the middleman out and they plan on taking all of the nonsense out between Nostra Vostra accounts and, the, and corresponding banks. And the way they can do this, to my understanding, is that they have, Ripple has their own proprietary software that they can implement um, in different international banks in different countries. And the cool part is, is instead of having to send a message from this corresponding bank to this corresponding bank in the other country and then to the actual bank, and then it finally settles. Instead, the plan is, is to use XRP as a conduit between all the countries where the messaging system is the passing of the cryptocurrency. And then there's the actual settlement of said cash in the other country. And so with that, you wouldn't need corresponding banks. And instead, you can actually have the settlement time instead of three to five day settlement time, you can actually have the settlement time of however long it would take on XRP's blockchain, The XR, what's called the XRP ledger. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of the day, the reason that Ripple can, could actually make this work and not only make it work, but make it better is the fact that they can take the corresponding banks out and the corresponding banks are really are responsible pretty much all of the problems because if you think about it the reason you have an 11% transaction fee rate is because you have two other you have four banks to my understanding there's the bank in your country the bank that is actually receiving the funds and then a corresponding bank in your country and a corresponding bank in the country you're sending it to yep so that's that's four banks taking that 11% rather than you actually being able to use something like the XRP ledger to basically send money cross-border, or at least to have messages send cross-border, say, between two countries if you wanted to. And the crazy part, even, even in the crypto space, the crazier part about XRP's ledger is the fact that they actually don't charge you what is customarily known as a gas fee in crypto. So usually in crypto you have a gas fee, whether it's with proof of work, it's miners that are actually validating the transactions or if in something like ethereum where it's proof of stake you actually have the stakers validating the transactions they actually don't charge you like an actual traditional transaction fee when you use xrp's blockchain instead they actually take a tiny little portion of the xrp that you sent and they burn it burn it yep so, and so so the 100 the 100 billion supply of xrp is actually Deflationary over time. Now it's an extremely small amount that you're burning, and some mathematician ran the calculation on it, and it would take about seventy thousand years to actually burn up all of the um, XRP, all of the hundred billion. So it's not like it's burning at any rapid rate. But the point is, is over a you know ten year, twenty year time horizon with XRP, you will notice a somewhat substantial burn amount, which means um,
0: the uh, the value of your XRP will. It should tend to slowly rise because the supply of XRP is becoming smaller. Uh, because, well, the total supply of XRP is pre mined, right? So, what was it, 100 billion um, yeah. tokens were, so there's no obviously concept of mining uh, with XRP. It's all uh, their system's a little bit different. They have like 100 billion tokens that were pre mined and it's deflationary. So as you mentioned, every time a transaction takes place, a small amount of your XRP is burned, um, basically to cover the cost of that transaction. It's not—I don't know if they call it a gas fee, but that's essentially what it is. Instead of yeah. instead of paying the gas fee that would go to some other wallet, um, you're basically just sending your XRP into the void.
1: <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And out of the, just so people understand, like how it's divvied up. So there was pre-mined 100 billion XRP, which means it's basically pre- minted. It's there. It's just a matter of actually getting it in circulation. 80 billion of the 100 billion was allocated directly to Ripple, the parent company of XRP. And to ensure a, a stable supply of XRP, the company actually locked up 55 billion of the 100 billion in an escrow account. And then, of the 100 billion, the uh, remaining 20 billion went to Ripple's co founders. Um, They received the remaining 20 billion, which some of it has been sold off because uh, um, I forget his name, his name's escaping me, but there was uh, a member of uh, Ripple that ended up uh, splitting off from the company. Uh, And he actually went to form uh, XLM, which is uh, Stellar for those of you that are uh, familiar with them um but again we can only touch on so much so maybe we can revisit their whole dispute at a different time Jed McCaleb? Was it Jed McCaleb that left? That's what it looks was like. Was he the one that He's the one that started Stellar. Yep.
0: And I I think that was the uh the biggest reason that our that our our, our big XRP friend was uh
1: not too fond of Stellar. No, yeah, well, I I had to open up my mouth and say, oh, yeah, Stellar. I've had some of Stellar. I "I hate Stellar. (laughs) Like, oh, sorry. (laughs) The thing is, I bought, the thing, the funny thing is, I bought Stellar before I even knew what XRP was. I basically heard Stellar's pitch, which is very similar to XRP, and I was like, that sounds amazing. (laughs) And I bought like $800 worth of Stellar. That's, that's that's funny well, that uh, I, I end up finding out about Stellar before XRP.
0: Well, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not really a surprise, right? Because unless you were in XRP very early, um, it's kind of hard to accidentally or just on a whim get into XRP. You have to be very intentional about it. And that's because getting into XRP, and when I say getting in, I mean purchasing XRP tokens, um, it is hard because it's not easily available. If you want to get XRP... You have to go through some traditional, or I say traditional. You have to go through like, um, like MoonPay or Transac or Sardine or a service like that. You're not going to be able to go to one of your major like um, centralized ex- or uh, centralized exchanges like Coinbase or Binance or any of those, and and or uh, Robinhood, and be able to buy XRP because nobody really wants to list them at the moment because they're all tied up in this SEC battle. So.
1: Well, the, as, yeah. soon, as soon as it was announced that they went in the SEC battle, Coinbase took them just yep. straight away, took, took them right off. The funny thing is I actually remember um, the reason I knew about Stellar was because, I don't know if you remember, when you open a Coinbase account, they let you learn about different cryptocurrencies and they mm-hmm. give you like a couple a couple dollars in Bitcoin. Stellar was the first one on the list. And so I was just, at that time, I was going, ho I was like, oh, I can get four dollars of bitcoin oh yeah i'll learn i'll learn about anything coinbase and <laughs> yeah. so and so and so i learned about stellar that way through their like illustrations and stuff uh that's where i first heard about it and i was like this sounds amazing it sounds insane and it's, turns out it's basically like a a, a baby version of uh, <laughs> xrp
0: well it was interesting too because i had a decent amount of it at one point uh, xlm that is uh because the coinbase card the debit card that they give you that allows you to c- convert your uh um, your crypto to fiat uh, automatically and and facilitate transactions. Um, they would pay you out your rewards and and several different options, but the option that I chose was um, XLM. Hmm. So yeah, because it was like what
1: four percent or something like that. Uh, I think it was like that 4%. sounds
0: about right. Yeah. So I yeah I, quite a bit of it actually, but
1: yeah, I think I got like eighty dollars of it back from my card another thing this was something i found interesting about the xrpl is that usually so like with bitcoin you know you've heard of the 51 percent attack like oh 50 if someone gets 51 percent of the miners they can you know run roughshod over something like the bitcoin network mm-hmm. with with uh, with xrpl it actually to um to get a block on the chain or to try and you know take over Uh, the ledger if you wanted to it actually requires 80 percent consensus by the validators um to actually get to actually get the block they call the blocks ledger right yep yeah yeah so like a block is a ledger i guess um it's kind of confusing because it's like the blockchain's called the ledger but the block's called the ledger (laughs) (laughs) as well
0: it's it's weird It's it's the ledger chain
1: yeah ledger chain but uh for all intents and purposes, I'll just call it a block. But it requires 80% consensus instead of, you know, something traditionally like Bitcoin's 51% consensus. Um, I will say, the maybe I just need to do more research into it, but the one thing that I found somewhat concerning about Ripple is the fact that they only have a little over 150 validators right now. So, you know, if you think 80% of that, you'd need, what... It'd be 120. You need 120 validators if there's 150 to gain control. Granted, it kind of it makes it harder to take over if you need 80% of them instead of 51%. But I don't know. Just like 100, a little over 150. It just doesn't seem like a lot to me. You know, in terms of decentralized.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sure there's there's some things that we that we aren't aware of yet. But a lot of the validators that they have set up now are from um plenty of reputable companies like you said microsoft Um, there's some big universities out there that have set up validators um it would even though it is 80 percent that you would need in order to you know sort of win win over consensus um it's still going to only require a small amount compared to like other blockchains you know because you have 51 percent for like the bitcoin blockchain is going to be a significant amount more Although you can't really measure it in terms of like validators with bitcoin cuz of the proof of work algorithm so you're going to need 51% more hashing power is what that means but with XRP you just need like individual units that are considered trusted um, so you know not not that many it's 150 you know yeah 80... i
1: don't know i don't know if there are any other proof of work or even proof of stake blockchains that have this feature that the uh, XRPL does, but um, what's really interesting about these ledgers or blocks that they, that they call them the, um, is that they literally have the entirety of the ledger of the blockchain uh, in each block and they hash it into the block and then they also hash the transactions themselves that they're looking to hash on the block as well. And my suspicion is, may, uh, maybe someone can clear this up, but my suspicion is is because actually the first 32,569 um, ledgers that were put onto the chain were actually lost. Um, and so if you actually go back to the beginning of XRP's ledger, you actually see the first block is actually number 32,570, which is kind of interesting. So I'm curious... Uh, If that actually was the reason that they have the entirety of the ledger in each block is because of, you know, that concern they had of losing everything again. Honestly, I'm not sure why other blockchains don't do this as well, but, you know, I think it's different because with Ripple, they have to think ahead as to what they're actually trying to use this, you know, this public blockchain for you know, they have to use, they're looking to use this on a global scale. Obviously, you can use any blockchain on a global scale. But the point is, is they're looking to run, you know, 10, 20, 50 X the amount of transactions through this, that something, you know, like the Monero chain or something like the Litecoin chain is going to have run through in terms of just raw number of transactions. So I'm wondering if they do that as just a safety precaution or something else.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, the XRP the XRP ledger actually has some of the, sorry, their their website talks about some of the different attacks that can happen with their consensus um, mechanism. Um, one of them that they talk about is a Sybil attack, which involves basically trying to run a large number of validators and then convince others to trust those validators. So I'm not sure what, what they mean exactly by trust. Um, apparently involves human interventions. There must be some sort of like vetting process for like who can like actually stand up a validator and have it be legitimate, mm. considered trusted. Um, so maybe that's that's where it's at. It's so, like one individual just can't go out there and throw up eighty percent more. Just you know throw up a whole bunch of virtual machines, such that right. there's eighty percent more nodes or eighty-one percent more nodes running um, than there were previously. Uh, or at least well, eight. you you
1: you wonder why if that's you wonder if that's why a lot of the validators are run by corporate companies like Microsoft, for example.
0: Yeah, that's that's starting to be what I'm thinking.
1: Um, a lot because of
0: the o- companies with good intentions.
1: Because there's other like what, when uh, there's other blockchains that it's much more accessible for like if a person had enough capital to get in as a validator. Like remember me and you. What was it like two years ago or something? We were looking into uh, running
0: Cardano, um, I think.
1: Yeah, it was Cardano. We were looking to run like a validator on it because we saw basically like the dividend that you make back on Cardano. The thing is, is it, I think it costs like what? I don't know. It was like fifty thousand dollars or something that you needed to like truly set it up. I think we looked at others too. We looked at uh, Ethereum as well, or no, not Ethereum. It was something else. But anyway, on other blockchains, you can run. Validators. If you just have, you know, twenty to fifty thousand dollars, you can probably get yourself started. You just need enough to, you know, enough capital to get going. But it doesn't seem that straightforward with um, with Ripples validators. Those yeah. these are structured differently.
0: It looks like what I'm reading online is that this says it says that they publish a signed list of recommended validators, including trustworthy and well maintained servers run by the company, industry, and the community. So it looks like there's a there's like an actual list that is read by the by the validators so that they know like which ones are going to be trusted and this list is curated basically by Ripple themselves.
1: Okay. So, so maybe maybe technically anyone could attempt to want to run a validator, but at the end of the day, like they're going to get kind of visually audited and their background's gonna get audited by Ripple to make sure Ripple considers them like a they authenticate them basically as a, as a good validator that can be trusted with transactions.
0: And I can only imagine, like you could probably theorize like, okay, well what happens if, you know, Microsoft decides to go rogue or something and they have 80% of the validators out there and they just, they want to just for whatever reason they had like a dispute with Ripple and they just aim to take them down, whatever. Uh, All the legal ramifications aside, um, it looks like, If something like that were to happen, Ripple would immediately know, and they would probably just immediately revoke their trusted access, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. It's like continuous auditing. Mm. Yeah, I'm reading here on the uh, Ledger's website... It says that if too many participants are unreachable or misbehaving, the network fails to make progress rather than diverging or confirming invalid transactions. It says confirming transactions does not require wasteful or competitive use of resources, unlike other blockchains that use, obviously, proof of work. So if if it comes to it and the network is misbehaving or it seems like there's like a validator attack, like a 80% attack trying to come online the The blockchain can literally just like stop in its tracks, basically, like it just comes to a pause if it sees that that's what's happening. And my guess is, is I'm sure there are a few people in the higher up of Ripple that can basically just, you know, turn the key and say, "Hold up, gotta get it right. We see validator, whatever 157 is trying to do is attempting to do something, you know, not not above the belt." And this is something we
0: were talking about before we went live. Um, 150 validators or a little more than 150 validators does not seem like a lot and that's because you know compared to other blockchains it's not but this is probably why because they want to make sure they have a very I don't want to say exclusive but um, rigorous you know trust process where they're bringing on people they know have good intentions they just want to you know contribute to the To the cause, maybe they want to do some of their own like RD, maybe they just believe in the project, things like that. But 150 um, validators that have been chosen specifically, they have good background, they can be trusted, at least for now. They put this list together, and this is what they're talking about. If you go to their website, they're talking about validator overlap requirements. That is, that is talking about how they need to have about 90% overlap.
1: Um, let's like not, not only that, but validators don't make money, unlike other chains, which is probably another way that they vet out people that are just looking to make a quick buck. I mean, you know, I'm sure for Microsoft purposes, they're probably using a validator for maybe R&D purposes for possible back-end things that they may they may try and do with Microsoft later on. So I think just the fact that validators actually don't make money, you know, vets out quite a lot of people that are just like, well, if I can't turn a quick buck and, you know, cause some mayhem, then what's the point? Yeah, that's true. I mean,
0: well, I don't know, because you could, there's also the argument where it doesn't matter if you're you're not in it from, like, if you're not getting, like, mining rewards or anything like that, because it's much easier, like, with Bitcoin, it's, the 51% attack is, pretty improbable because the amount of money you'd have to put in the miners to overcome 51% of the hashing power is just so high here assuming you somehow manage to get trusted and have 80% of the the power and maybe that's maybe that's something they protect against maybe they maybe they will not physically let one entity have 80% of the validators that's probably something they prevent um, I would imagine but assuming that they would be able to get access to this you could you could do whatever you want with the ledger. If all of your validators are agreeing on the same thing, you could say, "Hey, this person gets this much" or whatever. Like you could, you can just totally rewrite yeah. whatever you
1: want. But, you have to. You have to also wonder how um, quantum computing could possibly hack this chain on a global level. Like that, that might be the single biggest concern over a ten to twenty-year time horizon. Should this actually work, and they make partnerships with many, many countries to actually use XRP as as, you know, the, the conduit back and forth between countries. Like, what if you could have something like a quantum computer actually hack the blockchain or, hack, you know, hack some of the biggest wallets in it that maybe you know, Ripple wallets? So that's another uh, thing.
0: Yeah, quantum computing has a lot of different implications. I don't know if it would be able to, like, just rewrite the blockchain because basically what it would have to do is this quantum computer would have to be able to basically hack into every validator, assume control over it somehow, and then it's basically like a botnet. It's all, they're now all, you know, validators that that were initially assigned to other companies but have now been taken over by this quantum computer hacker and now he's using them to sort of like do whatever he wants with them. Uh, he would he would have to have them all agree that you know what used to be the correct blockchain uh, the correct ledger is no longer the correct ledger it's you know whatever they want it to be um, but you know when you have quantum computing attacking um, chances are at that point you will also have quantum computing defending if that makes any sense so
1: um, I right. mean you're far more educated on it than I am I'm just it, thinking of like really... what are the... What are the possibilities of what I'm looking for? What are the points of failure basically down the road?
0: I'm not sure. And a lot of times most people aren't sure. Um, you can have sort of like high level ideas with the, at the end of the day, everything is hackable. It's just a matter of what that vulnerability is and how long it takes somebody to find it. Um, and we've seen that recently with some of the treasure wallets. I mean, treasure uh, with the treasure wallets being, getting hacked and they've been hacked in the past. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, you don't want to use Trezor anymore, you want to go ahead and use, like, Ledger. And, well, it's like, well, it's not really that simple, just because Ledger hasn't been hacked yet doesn't mean that there isn't a much worse vulnerability out there that hasn't been discovered yet. Because um, um, I, don't,
1: I don't believe Ledger's code is open source, which is, if you think about it long enough, it's somewhat concerning. You would almost hope something is open source, you know, so that the... in so that the vulnerabilities of it would be pointed out quicker, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, it's it's sort of a debate. Um, if your code is not open source, meaning you don't release it to the public, it means that the public does not have access to its, to its inner workings and they can't theorize possible vulnerabilities. On the flip side, if it is open source, there's probably way more white hat hackers out there than there are black hat meaning there's a lot more good guys and the good guys are going to find the exploits and they're going to either patch it or they're going to alert the company of the potential dangers of the code that they've written um, it's just a matter of which happens first black hat does the black hat um, exploit this vulnerability or does the white hat um, you know fix it first And it's a, a race yeah personally I'm more of a fan of of open source, um, but at the same Why is time, that? Uh, just because I tend to agree that if you have an entire a, a global community of people that are constantly vetting your software, um, I think it's going to come out better in the end. Especially since a lot of it's volunteer based; like you're not paying the community to help patch your work, so you're getting an entire world of people, professional software engineers, people that want to help and make a difference, help you make your software better. And it's not costing the company anything more than what they had before or what they were paying before. So. And and, and if it's closed source, you may have vulnerabilities that exist in your code base for years and never find it. And getting it fixed may take longer.
1: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, believe, I, I believe XRPL is open source.
0: It is. Yeah. The XRP Ledger is open source, which is why they have a wonderful website with absolutely everything detailed about it. Like They've got all the concepts outlined, how it works under the hood. They've got um, references, tutorials. I've seen Python interfaces for it. It's, uh, it's actually pretty amazing.
1: And at this point, if you have a blockchain that's been... Oh, that's been out as long as the XRPL has, you would theorize that it's been, if it's been open source for what, literally a decade now, like it's pretty airtight at this point. You would think, at least I would think, I mean, you're, you're more the code specialist. I'm not.
0: Eh, it's hard to tell. I mean, that is, that is a good wouldn't point. You,
1: wouldn't you think the longer something is open source, theoretically the more secure it gets over time?
0: Uh, not necessarily. The core, the core of it will certainly become stronger. But as you introduce more features, every feature you introduce is going to potentially have its own vulnerabilities that, could, that would need to get patched somehow. And mm-hmm. um, with Ledger, it's not even really, especially when it comes to global banking with Swift and cross-country transactions, it's not even really been used yet. And not a lot of people have access to the asset because it's not listed on any of these centralized exchanges. So basically, I'm saying is it's not it's not super popular yet. Like it's a it's popular amongst crypto enthusiasts, but it's not necessarily something that has been a major target yet because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of. trading volume if that makes sense there's not there's not a lot of assets that are actually being traded that are even worth hacking at this point
1: right well you gotta think going back to what i said earlier if you have enough if you have enough parties corresponding banks that do not want ripple to succeed you have to wonder if there's some under the table dealings for some black hat hackers to basically put out possible bounties under the table to exploit this so that other banks worldwide would say, oh my gosh, the XRPL just got hacked and such and such money went out. I'm out. I'll continue using the current system. You have to theorize that some of that could take place.
0: Well, I think I don't think the, the corresponding banks are necessarily incentivized to seek out or to fight against it um, because, like I said, or we were sort of theorizing, like, Because, you know, they got, like, the 11% fees and all those other things that that they're starting to eat up. But the opportunity cost of having all of your capital tied up or all your liquidity tied up and just these pools of money that aren't actually doing anything for you other than just sitting there as sort of a reserve, the opportunity cost of not having that being lent out or invested in some other way is probably much higher than the amount of money that they're making in fees. So if they're able to, like, reinvest that money somewhere else and save... You know, I think they're just saying that like XRP would end up saving like between thirty and forty percent on the current system.
1: I mean think thirty or forty percent of what was it, eleven point seven trillion dollars. If you save, you know, say a third of eleven point seven trillion, that's almost four trillion dollars that you would save every year. Right. That's no small chunk of change. <laughs> Countries so Plenty of countries aren't even worth $4 trillion.
0: Yeah, according to Ripple.com, it's saying that compared to the current system, Ripple would would basically cut the international payment infrastructure cost down by 33%. Well, there
1: you go, third. Yeah. What the thing is, is man, I don't know. It's I, one thing I do know is it's, it's hard to replicate the information because I, I didn't, like, prepare for the specific part. But in the XRP class that I took, he showed how deep the connections were between the founders and people um, and higher-ups of different governments, uh, higher-ups in the Treasury Department in the United States. Um, these people have a lot – what is it called? The G20 – G20 conference. Anyway, it's like the it's the global economic um, conference. Maybe you can find it. But if you look at the pictures and the yeah, the G20 or G23, G something.
0: Uh, G, the G20 definitely exists. Um,
1: Is that the econo- economics?
0: The yeah, the group of twenty Yeah. informal gathering of the yeah. world's largest economies.
1: Yep. Yeah, they they were interviewed. At G20, interviewed uh, the uh, CEO, uh, what's his name? Brad, shoot, what's his name? Ripple uh, CEO? Anyway, yeah. He has a long last name, I forget. I have it written down somewhere. I just have so many freaking notes. Um, oh, Brad Garlinghouse. Yes, yeah, Brad Garlinghouse. He was interviewed interviewed on a panel at G20. The, the connections that these people have made, not only in just the actual Ripple software infrastructure and other banks, but the connections that they have with other people in G20, in the Federal Reserve, like, the connections are honestly scary. I uh, Maybe I'll I, if I can find it, I'll link it down below if you're watching on YouTube. But there was this video that showed in class where it's basically this, like, speed slideshow video for three minutes on YouTube and the video literally goes through all the different connections that the, um, ripple founders have with all of the top um, countries in the world, specifically at G20 as well. And the connections that they have made since inception in the last uh, 12 years at this point is, it literally once we once the video got done in the class i literally looked up and said so this is actually too big to fail like, it's it's crazy i am I'm, I'm determined to find it it will be linked in the description you got to check it out it is it's almost scary honestly cuz it's got like it's got like illuminati vibes all over it <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i'm i'm looking at some of these stats again and, and the thing is you can you can use ripple like this as this replacement to Swift, like with their X current messaging protocol and all that, you can use all of that without actually using XRP as sort of like the the currency bridge, and that's what gives you the the thirty three percent cost and uh, redu- cost reduction. If you use Ripple and XRP, you sort of cut out the payment operations layer, and that'll take you down to about a forty two percent decrease in, in infrastructure costs. So you're going, you're you're getting close to cutting cutting in half the infrastructure costs compared to the current system
1: it's it's insane and that's the biggest key point is that they have an infrastructure in place where you don't have to use XRP as the conduit like that's huge because it really gives other countries no excuses not to cut costs because it costs other that error rate costs countries money too like that 5% is no joke once you actually you know play it out for any real timeline, like two, three, four, five years. Like, it's it's billions, if not tens, hundreds of billions of dollars for each country that's involved with SWIFT.
0: And now that I'm thinking about it some more, getting close to a cost reduction that high, I'm wondering if, and maybe not, it's unlikely, but I'm wondering if some of these savings could ever get passed down to the consumer. It's, it's I mean, nice to think about, but... At the end of the day, you know, businesses are rarely going to pass down savings to the consumer. It's pretty much just a hey, more money for us type of thing. But
1: Well, I mean, the transaction fee aspect is directly related. Like, I would think that would get passed down, right? If, if you're in America and, say, America ends up using not only the Ripple software but also uses XRP cross-border, if you're sending it to another country that's basically agreed upon that same thing, then you would think that your transaction fee on, say, like $1,000 you're sending is, like, what? why would it be more than 1%, honestly? I mean, obviously, well, there's a big greed like,
0: factor. I'm talking more like, like uh, consumer goods and services. Like, if you have, like, a big company um, that's trying to send, you know, money from, I don't know, like, from the United States over to China for something that they need to produce something, and now the cost to send those funds back and forth are now much lower. They're paying less money and hmm. fees for this type of thing. Now are they going to be able to market their, their, their good or service at a lower cost such that we can afford it more easily because they have they're, they can pay less and stupid things like you know, cross-country fees.
1: Well, you got to wonder if if the corresponding banks go away and they're not making that money, you got to wonder if countries are going to sit back and say, we're kind of bleeding billions of dollars in here. Why don't we tariff money incoming into this country, tariff the actual transactions. So now you're almost like back up to that 11 percent to where they're like, listen, whether we're using Ripple or we're using Swift, we're going to we're going to squeeze, you know, what we can out of you on the transaction. And 'Cause like think of it this way, what if what if Ripple's in place, XRP's in place? What if Tesla wants to send money to the uh, the giga factory in Shanghai? Right? What if they need to send like another billion dollars over there for R and D or for producing more vehicles? Like, is China going to say, uh uh uh, you gotta give us our slice of the pie? Or is it just going to function as you would, you know, magically hope so? Where it's just like, oh, it's it's just a one percent fee because you're using Ripple and XRP. Or if it's, you know, are are you actually going? How much? How much of this thirty three percent or this forty two percent is actually going to get passed on not only to the consumer but the companies they're sending money overseas to different plants?
0: Yeah, that is that is. Uh, <laughs> I am not hopeful um, that a lot of this would get passed out. Like. Like I said, it, especially if you're already used to paying some amount of money for something, it is not. Um, <laughs> it is likely that you're going to continue to pay that in some in some fashion, especially, um, especially when it's something s- s- tangent tangential to like taxes, you know, like taxes I very will... rarely go down.
1: <laughs> yeah, I will say though, assume for instance like all the countries in the world got super greedy and they were like, we're still charging you 11% to send you know, Nana the $5,000. You still have a big silver lining with Ripple being in place because even though you're charged 11%, as sucky as it is, your settlement time is almost instantaneous. And also the you don't have to worry about that 5% error rate. Am I gonna be one of the 5% that gets screwed on this? Like, those two things are still going to go away.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm wondering what happens to the fees that were associated with those, you know, erred transactions. Do you get reimbursed for that fee because the thing that you paid for did not actually happen correctly? Or do you have to pay it again? Because that's just part of the process.
1: I would assume that it gets rectified. I I would assume you wouldn't foot the bill for a banking error. I don't know. I've never sent money overseas, so I don't know. Yeah. In, in any case, though, even if they end up taking their pound of flesh out of it, you know, you still have two silver linings of the error rate and still the settlement time. I mean, to be able to get like a loved one money literally like within an hour, just you actually putting your clothes on or or maybe you even wouldn't have to. And for a case of argument, putting your clothes on, still having to go down to the Walmart, still having to do what you would normally do to send money overseas you can still get your loved one the money within an hour because once you've actually done the deed, it's seconds and it's settled. Like that's, that's huge because you don't have those five business days, you know? And that would get many, many people and many, many loved ones out of binds or situations.
0: That would have been absolutely epic when we were trying to purchase like suspect miners from China you remember oh, that? on like uh, you, Alibaba. Yeah, like when you're trying to like wire money to Alibaba so you can get like these stupid cheap like refurbished, right, Litecoin miners. Like that would have been epic.
1: That would have been extremely nice because well, still have to buy in bulk on Alibaba, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, but now at least your thousands of dollars will get there instantly.
1: True, because it because I remember we tried to buy some miners and it was like, hey, each miners. Three hundred dollars less. Also, three hundred dollars shipping. <laughs> like it was really high, and it's still high. Even if you try and get something like from China, like a China, like a miner that's in China off like eBay, like you're still gonna pay two, three hundred dollars in shipping to get it over here. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to be involved in XRP at some point. Like Mark said, it's just I'm trying. I, it's really hard to, to pull any money I have away from Zeta Capital because it's just so good. And while I have full belief that XRP is going to be the future, it's just oh, man, it's so hard to to put money into it right now because this SEC case has just got it sitting. Oh, well, I'd say the SEC
1: case is the opportunity, really. But I mean, it
0: is, yeah. The- but there's not, there's, there's no like push for me to get in it right now
1: right well the thing is with the other project we're in if any if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about uh the last episode we did episode 20 we interviewed the chief communications officer of this project we're talking about data capital um so if you're interested in that you can go check that out but the thing is is like throw any fugazi No, it was like, say, $100 for XRP. You know, it's it's like 50 cents right now. It's like a 200X. Over a three to five year time horizon, you're still going to make more money (laughs) than a 200X, you know, off of the project we're in Zeta Capital than XRP because, you know, XRP is just, it goes up and, you know, it'll pump and then it'll dump to some extent. And I'm sure it'll even itself out over time. But the project we're in, the numbers we're dealing with compound over time, which going up in in the price of the XRP you know coin is not the same as money compounding month over month over month over month. So that's really ultimately it's it's not that XR, it's not that I don't want to be in XRP. It's just the math is telling me wait.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I I want I want to get in really badly, but. And honestly, if it was a little bit easier, I might do it. But I i don't know, man. I don't know. I'm also not 100% sure how you actually... I th- you could store it on your Ledger. And by Ledger, I mean Ledger wallet. But I don't know if you can store it inside of MetaMask because MetaMask
1: is an Ethereum wallet. Um, should be able to. I don't see why not. I mean, I don't use MetaMask anymore with the new update. The new update was poo-poo. Uh, let's
0: see. Oh, you have to add the Binance Smart Chain Network. So it looks Ooh. like... The looks B like word. The B word. It looks like there is a way you can do it. But either way, I'd, I would probably, so. I'd probably do it on my ledger instead.
1: I know some other crypto people I've talked to, uh, they said that they use... Uh, I've never actually used it. They use this uh, centralized exchange called um, Uphold. Oh,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, I've to, heard of that one. To,
1: to buy XRP. Um, from what I've heard, all the all the word of mouth is really solid on... It. I, I've only tried the big ones like Kraken, Crypto.com. I won't touch Binance for obvious reasons. Coinbase... Um, I've tried some of those, but I haven't tried, um, uphold, but I kind of want to now though, with the amount of word of mouth that I've heard on it. Um, Mm. in in any case though, if it's honestly, if I'm just throwing out a guess, if XRP wins this lawsuit, it will go bananas parabolic. I am not even going to throw out a number. I don't know, you know, dollar, $10. I don't know. It'll go Parabolic. But I do believe it will, because you're going to get so many traders coming in trying to make a buck off of XRP, I do believe it'll pump, it'll dump, and then it'll come back up again to an equilibrium of what people at least speculate is its current value at that time. If I have to take a bath on buying it at $3 or $5 instead of 50 cents, and the project that we're in continues to work and continues to show the fruits of its labor that it has so far... I am perfectly satisfied with buying it at $5 instead of 50 cents, assuming that the project that we're in works. So we'll see, uh, it's, you know, there's, there's risk in everything. There's risk in not getting in, and there's also risk in getting in. You just have to, you know, weighing risk management is its own thing that every person has to do for themselves. But I do believe that I'm making the right call by holding off, but only time will tell. I mean, I mean, if th- if this works, like, I won't have to hang out with you anymore. I can get cool with That's friends. That's true. Yeah, so. you could
0: literally just go. You could go buy like Chris Pratt for a day or something.
1: I could. Yeah. Yeah. I could just buy all my friends instead of having to get with you. You know, get all the losers club. I
0: wouldn't blame you, honestly. This guy. You
1: guys <laughs> see this guy? You guys see this guy? He's trash. I mean, come on don't give them the puppy face don't try to win face. them over that was exhibit
0: A that being said I do think that like between either of these projects I don't think you could go wrong with either one of them like I I think 100% you're making money with, one of, with either one of them no matter which way you go um, XRP it might take a little bit of time for this SEC case to finally turn around but I think at the end of the day you're getting uh, you're gonna be making some money on it and I think you're gonna be I think it's I think it's the future, hundred percent. I don't think there's I don't think there's anything that's gonna be coming anytime soon that's gonna be challenging it.
1: And if I can get up on my soapbox for a half second, one thing I would say is if you have XRP right now and you are waiting for the wave to come, like have a plan for what you are doing with your whether it's a trade or an investment like have a plan for that ahead of time like don't see it go up 200 percent a day up to like you know a dollar 50 and be like oh there's so much money i can cash out now like if you're going to make an investment it's an investment like decide a time frame on it ahead of time don't just get greedy with it going up in a day and then wait and I see so many people and is i get it it's hard but there are so many people that you know, they get those big green eyes with a with a crazy day. You know, like Shiba Inu. Ooh, it went up eighty percent. You know, or last year. Or, <laughs> Pepe, get Pepe, Pepe, or or, or eighth Coin, another one. You get know, no. there's no there's no shortage of them. But just like the only bad plan, in my opinion, is no plan. That is the only objectively bad plan is to have no plan. So just have a plan, because I do believe if this settles in any favorable way, like. You can just look at this coin. I mean, she's ready to go. She's in a squatting position. She's down on the lane on the track, and she's got she's got the spike heels on, and she's ready to just take off down the track. So just have a plan. That's all. I'm off my soapbox now. We can we can leave. We can leave all these ugly people watching us.
0: Ugly people. He didn't mean yeah. that. He didn't. He didn't mean it.
1: I, I meant it one hundred percent. Ugly. Take it back. If you're in Zeta Capital and you're watching this you're not ugly. Okay. if you that, that's are not acceptable. in Zeta Capital. If you're not in Zeta Capital, um what are you doing? Link down below for our referral links. Click, <laughs> click the one that is mine. Then I'll just switch them. <laughs> Don't.
0: That's why I just say click the one that's mine. It's a catch all. Listen. They should just listen. know which one is mine.
1: Actually, since uh since they aren't in Zeta, you are all beautiful people. And I believe you will make the right decision. No, no, no.
0: You can't take it back now. You need to go click on my link because I did not insult you from the beginning.
1: Listen, listen. Who said you get a link in the first place, buddy? I upload all this stuff. That's right. You I get no edit. links. I could edit it. I'll sign you out. It'll I'll, be there. I'll, I'll attach the Crypto Bros. Google account to my YubiKey and you'll be toast the <laughs> I could do that. And you would be out. <laughs> yeah but that's all we got again it's you know if you were looking to become an expert with this podcast <laughs> off Xrp, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I gave you the disclaimer. We tried to hit on as many topics as possible and obviously if you listen to us for more than five minutes, we are not an expert on Swift. We are not an expert on Xrp and it's not financial advice but you know we are definitely going to continue to. I'm definitely going to continue to read up on XRP and stay up to date with the case because I am interested in the case. Yeah. Um, and maybe sometime in the future, I know there's a few people that we know that are very interested and very invested. And in, um, XRP, you know who you are, if you're listening. Uh, so maybe my hope is next time that we discuss XRP, because I don't think this will be the last time we end up bringing, bringing up xrp um we can do it with someone that's just as educated if not much more educated on it than we are so hopefully we can do that in the future
0: yeah more than anything i just hope that whoever's listening to this is able to see the value in xrp beyond just the fact that we think it's going to go up in value like do you understand or can you see the potential in a company that's able to totally dismantle swift and sort of bring its own thing to the table it's going to cut, cut back on, you know, transaction fees. Um, and then just overall errors. Yep. Like payment costs and and everything that comes with it. Like, yeah, it's going to be error free. Essentially. It's going to be incredible.
1: If I had to attempt, I had to attempt to make an elevator pitch for ripple and their plan for global payment system. I would say ripple's plan is to remove the middleman and make it, cheaper faster and more accessible for every single person in the world to send money to a different country than where they are currently stationed that is the elevator pitch for ripple and it seems like they're well on their way to doing it to be honest i mean i know from what i read all of the papers and all of the yeah buts, yeah but yeah but on each side between the sec and xrp all of the paperwork is on the judge's desk like literally the judge just has to make a rolling. Um, If the judge wanted to, she could literally make a ruling tomorrow. Um, pr- that probably won't happen because, you know, these judicial cases take forever to settle. Um, but, and who knows about an appellate court and appeals and things like that? I mean, it could drag out another couple years. But nonetheless, um, you know, if you buy now, be in it for the long term is what I would say. Because, um, Knows how long this could drag out until they're actually able to go pedal to the metal with this. Um, yeah, that's all I have what about you. Nothing more to add. Cool, oh, cool. We will see you guys next time whenever we get back on. Peace.